All right. Well, we're going to go into today's scripture reading, which comes from John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. We're going to read this in the ESV. So if you have an ESV Bible, um, there's ESV Bibles in the back if you want to grab one of those, um, or just look along in, in your uh, Bible or Bible app. Uh, we'll also project it on the screen uh, behind me. And for those at home, uh, I know sometimes that's kind of hard to read, so feel free to look that up on your own. Again, it's John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. And uh, we uh, want to invite people, uh, if you're here in person or if you feel comfortable doing this at home as well, to please stand as able for the reading of God's word. So may the Lord read, uh, excuse me, may the Lord bless the reading of God's word. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, friends, uh, today's message is called Friendship with Jesus. Does that seem like a weird concept to you? You probably heard it before, that we're supposed to be friends with Jesus and that we have this invitation to be his friend, but I have to be honest that uh, I've been thinking about this lately, and it's a really strange concept if you think about it. So we have to kind of understand uh, sort of the way that people have always viewed God, and to be honest, I think the way people still view God. So one of the things we say about God is that God is holy. You've probably heard this before. Do you know what the word holy means in, in its rudimentary meaning? I know like, like we, we have like this, this, this way of thinking of it as like holy, uh, sacred, godly, uh, this kind of thing, right? Like, like we hear the holy, 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 and it gives you this feeling of reverence, and that's definitely there. But the actual root meaning means what? Does, it, does anyone know? I, I, I hear some people kind of whispering. They're like, separate, separate. Yeah, it's separate, right? You, you, you don't have to be separate from this message. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the idea is holiness is this idea that God is different, right? And so God is set apart from us because he's the creator and we're the creation, right? That we can't go to God and be like, yo, God, what's up? Like, we're exactly the same. Of course we're not. God is God, right? And we are imperfect, and we are flesh, and God is eternal, and we are temporary. And so in many ways, God is separate, right? God is in a different league, right? And so, you know, I just happened to find this graphic when I was doing like a Google image search, and I think that this is very appropriate for the way that many of us think about God, that God is holy, and here you see kind of like, like the clouds with the sun peeking out of the clouds, right? And where is the sun in the clouds in the heavenly bodies? They're up there, right? They're really, really far away, right? I mean, none of us are on a mountain. You can't touch the cloud, right? It's really, really far. And in many ways, that is the way that people have always understood God, right? And that God is not only, you know, separate from us, um, you know, he's removed 
but also this idea that who would even dare approach the presence of God? That for the people of Israel, we've mentioned this before, that to be in the presence of God was a completely frightening proposition, right? The idea that you're so sinful in the presence of, of a holy God, you would die. You would be incinerated by that presence, right? And so whenever people got the sense that Jesus was something more than just a good teacher, what was the, the people's reaction? The disciples. Do you remember Peter? That Peter's like, Lord, go away from me. Go away from me. I am a sinful man. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Peter was afraid, right? Because he looked at Jesus and he's like, Jesus, you're holy, right? You're different. We're not the same, right? Friends, you know, maybe it's not to that level, right? Like where you're like trembling in your boots when you think about God. But is there a separation between you and God? I think for a lot of us there is. And I got to tell you, I've preached messages like this all the time. And we talk about the incarnation, right? The idea that, that God sent his son, Jesus, to be with us here on earth. And yet, there are many times where there is a separation. There's a separation in the way that we think about God. Are there some things that... Like, when you're thinking about it, when you're doing it, God is nowhere to be seen in your thoughts. You're not thinking about God at all. Maybe there's something that, you know, stereotypically is sinful. I don't know. There's something, like, on your phone or a computer that you're looking at and you feel like you're not supposed to. Is God there with you in that moment? Or it's like, oh, no, I'm doing something dirty, right? I'm doing something beneath God. This is, this is not, you know, anywhere close to where God is right? Or maybe it's just, I don't know, you're doing your thing, and you're doing something that's just so ordinary, right? Like, like, like you're, you're, I mean, it's so weird, because eating is like one of the most ordinary things we do. And what a lot of us do, that we've learned to do, which I think is a good habit, is we thank God for our meal. But once we thank God for our meal, and then we're in the meal, we're just eating, or we're just doing whatever. Or for many of us now, I don't know if you guys do this, but um, like you're like watching a video or listening to something at the same time as eating, and now God is nowhere to be seen, right? God is not there anymore, functionally, right? Actually, in terms of how you think about your life, and, and the reality of God is not there with you, right? Is this making sense? Is this anyone else's experience? Because I got to say that for a lot of us, we do feel, at least for me, I mean, there are times I, I just feel like God's nowhere to be seen. Like, is God even real? Is God just a figment of my imagination or just like, you know, maybe there are moments in worship where I feel the presence of God, but in everyday things, is he there? Or have we learned in some ways this way of thinking about God? God, you're up there in the sky. You're in the heavens. You're not here with me. But friends, here now we have the concept of friendship. Right? And this is what we see in this passage. And I want you to think about this image that we have portrayed of God and that has been propagated down through the generations of God being separate and holy and, and just a different, different class than us. And thinking about the idea of God as a friend. Right? It, it's, it's kind of earth-shattering. And so this invitation, friends, it, it is nothing short of revolutionary, Right? Uh, so, yeah, friend, friendship, <laughs> by the way, right, is a friend somewhere, someone who is far, far removed from you, someone who's just in a different class from you? 
I mean, if that's the case, I don't know that we would consider them friends, right? This is part of the reason why it's so hard to be friends with your parents, right? Because your friends are, right? Your parents are a lot older than you, different generation, and almost the role is different. Like, like a, a friend is somebody who like, you know, no matter what you do, they're just gonna understand you, they're gonna be there for you, right? Do you ever do like a stupid, stupid thing? Or you, <laughs> maybe your friend has done a stupid, stupid thing? And because your friends, like, like you're like, okay, you know, you, you, you're kind of being an idiot, but <laughs> you're my friend, I'm gonna back you up, right? I'm still gonna be there for you. I'm not gonna abandon you, right? I might even be like, oh yeah, you know, there's a good reason for that, you know? Now, if it was a parent, it might be different. Like their role is like, oh, no, 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 don't do that, right? I gotta set these boundaries, right? And, and so there's something weird that happens sometimes when parents try to be friends with their kids. Have you ever seen that? Like someone who's like, you know, like, I don't know, with a five-year-old, hey, buddy, what do you wanna eat today? Do you wanna go to school? That's weird, right? Like, like you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to be friends with your kids, at least not on that level. Right? But friend is supposed to be a peer, someone who is on your level. Right? When a friend acts like they're better than you, it's almost like a violation. Right? If a friend is like, like kind of condescending, like, oh, good job, or why'd you do that? You're like, dude, you're my friend. Right? You're not better than me. We're on the same level. Right? And so friendship is this different thing. And it's very, very interesting that Jesus would call us his friends. Jesus, the son of God, this is what we see. He says, um, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, this is what we're usually used to. We're used to God commanding us, right? Okay, you're up there, and we're down here, and I'm going to command you and tell you what to do, and we're like, okay, makes sense. Yeah, this feels very, very comfortable, right? This is what we know of God. Right? But if you guys remember, I actually don't have it up here, but if you remember, we actually did the same passage two weeks ago. And there was a, a verse that we really keyed in on, and it's verse 11 that comes right before this. So I'm just going to read it for you, so you just listen. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you, what? What has he spoken to us? The commands. The commands that we're talking about, Right? For what purpose? To order us around so, so that he has a lackey who will do his bidding? No. He speaks these words so that they can be in us and so we can share life with Jesus and that his joy can be in us. His life can be in us. His love can be in us. And our joy can be completed. Right? That is why we are meant to have this commandment. So, we're told that this is the commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There's a mutuality here. The commandment is not about God just telling you something that doesn't make any sense to you, right? It's a mutuality. I've already loved you. I've already lived this command to you. And it's kind of a weird thing if you think about it. Jesus has been obedient to this command, has he not? Right? Jesus is being obedient to the Father to who? Right? The commandment isn't, I'm just only going to love the Father. Right? That's actually the way that most people think about religion. That's the way people have always thought about religion. You have a God who's far above you, and you must serve him. If you don't serve him, he's going to destroy you, or you're not going to be blessed. Your crops will wither. Right? But instead, check it out. 
God sends his son to serve us. Right? I know we know this in Christianity, but if you think about it for a moment, and you think about the concept of God, right, it is revolutionary. Right? Jesus has already lived the command to you. Right? Of course, to God, right? But the fact that he would do it to you, you're a finite human being, right? I mean, you're here today, gone tomorrow, like, like the grass, right? That Jesus would come and give his life to love you, to love us. And he's like, okay, that's the command I've been living. I want you to do the same, right? This is what I'm inviting you into, right? And then he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. We actually mentioned this two weeks ago. But usually the context that we hear this is always Jesus to us, right? Which I think is important. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And we're thankful. We're like, God, that's amazing that Jesus would lay down his life for us. But notice what he says. He doesn't just say me. Greater love has no one than me, (laughs) than my love, right? That I'm going to lay down my life for you. Of course he does that, right? He does that for his friends. But there's also an invitation, right? This is the kind of love I want to see in you, that you can also learn to lay down your life for one another. And then this is the part that is so revolutionary, right? Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, friends, we need to understand this. Because it's so easy to just look at 14 and just think this is religion as usual, right? They're like, oh, okay, but uh, th- there's two things here. Pastor Steve, you think about it, right? You're my friends if you do what I command you. Have you ever commanded a friend before? Like, hey, go get me something to eat. <laughs> I don't know, maybe some of you guys are really close to your friends like that, and they're not going to punch you in the face or, or be like, you know, forget you. What are you talking about ordering me around, Right? But friends, remember what the command is. It's about love. It's about mutuality, right? This isn't a command just to be like, hey, just do whatever I say because I said it, right? Now, it can be that. God has every right to do that. But that's not what's happening here, right? He's talking about love. You are my friends if you do what I command, which is what? To love one another as I have loved you. Why, why, why is this friendship with Jesus? So, friends, this is the way worldly friendship works. It, it is an A to B relationship, right? So, I love you, you love me back, right? Friendship is a mutual thing. Now, if I love you and do kind things for you, but you don't do it back, guess what? After, I mean, you know, maybe if we have a long history, right, we'll be friends for a little bit because of the history or whatever. But after a while, right, if it's just one-sided and I'm just loving you, right, and you're not loving me back, we're probably not going to be friends anymore, right or wrong, right or wrong. It's a mutual thing, A to B, B to A, right? But this is where it changes for Jesus, right? He says, you are my friends if you do what I command, which is what? Love one another as I have loved you. Now, we got C involved, right? And so you got A to B, right? So yes, definitely, you're supposed to love Jesus, right? But Jesus is saying, 
to be my friend, it's not just about loving me. I want you to love other people. Why? 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 Because they're his friends too, right? Have you ever had like a really good friend, right? And they have a friend. You probably would not have known this person. You probably wouldn't even like this person. There's like, seriously, you have nothing in common. But because your friend loves them, what do you do? I mean, if you're a really good friend, you're probably going to make every effort to love that person, right or wrong, right? You're going to want to get to know that person, right? You're going to push past your initial assumptions about that person. Why? Because they're your friend's friend, right? And so this idea of it's not just A to B, B to A, but there is a, a, a community involved, right? Your friend has other friends, and Jesus has other friends too. He's like, you want to be my friend? Love my friends. Love my other friends. Love the friends, even the ones that you wouldn't naturally love. That's what I'm asking you to do. Because it's not just a, a, a linear line. It is a circle that I'm trying to build. It is a kingdom, right? It is a circle of love that is encircling, encompassing. I mean, eventually, it is meant to be the whole world, right? I'm not just called you to be my friend. I want to expand what it means to be a friend, right? No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you, right? And friends, there is this heart behind what we do that Jesus shares with us. He doesn't have to. Right? He could just be like a typical ruler, a typical king, a typical God, the way that people always understood gods. Right? Gods are fickle and whimsical, and they just do things because they want to. And it's not for you to ever question that. They don't owe you any you know, explanation. You know, if they tell you to go sacrifice a goat, you go sacrifice a goat. Why? Because they're a god, and you're not. You're a lowly peon, and you just got to do it. That's not the way that Jesus works. He comes and shares. And do you remember those moments where the disciples, like, they're just like, Jesus, I don't understand. Like, what does this parable mean? And he's not like, stop asking questions, just obey. He's like, here, let, let, let me tell you. Let me explain this to you, right? It's revolutionary. Why, why does Jesus do that? He's like, I do that because you're my friend, right? You ever do something? And maybe, like, no one else will understand but your friend, you're like, look, look, I, I just want to explain to you, like, I'm, I'm having a bad day, or I'm going through this, right? And you explain things to your friends. You share your heart with your friends because they're your friends, and they're, you're in your circle. Sometimes we even call it the inner circle. Like, oh, you're my inner circle. You're the close people that I share everything with. I don't do that with everyone else. I don't do that with some of my coworkers. I don't even do that with some of my family, but I do that with you because you're my inner circle. You're my people. You're my friends. And that's what Jesus is doing with us. It is incredible, right? And he is bringing us to his level, and simultaneously, he's coming down to ours, right? That is what the incarnation is all about. But friends, I got to tell you, how many of us really think about life this way? And even in friendship, it's very few people that we can do this with. 
Because you think about the world that we live in, we're always graded, aren't we? We're always kind of like, like, like it, it, it's a competition. It's a constant competition. Even some friends, it can be a competition, right? So, you know, life, I just feel like we're always like, you know, it, it, we're, we're always trying to figure out how well are we doing, right? Do you ever have a friend like in school? I had friends like this who would always ask me how I did on a test. <laughs> right? And what I realized is that, yeah, okay, maybe on some level we were kind of friends, but really what I was was the competition. Right? I, I see some people with some nods, and they're kind of subtle nods. I'm just <laughs> telling you that some people are like, mm, yeah, I, I feel that, right? It, 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 you know, they come up to you and they're like, hey, uh, 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 how'd you do on the test? Oh, you got an 87? <laughs> 97. You know, and you're like, dude! What's wrong with you, man? There's something within you. You feel violated, right? Because what are they doing? What are they doing, friends? They're trying to create a difference between you. You're 87, I'm 97, right? You're down there, I'm up here. Right or wrong? Isn't that what life is always about? We're always comparing. We're always grading. It always feels like there's like tears to this. You know, I'm gold medal, you're silver medal, you're bronze medal. <laughs> you didn't even get invited to the race. You didn't even qualify. Right? And constantly our life is throwing at us these different grades. I'm better than you. You're beneath me. Right? And sometimes we even think of people as being different kinds of people. We have these celebrities that show up and in this picture, it's like someone on the red carpet with just a, a just a incredible dress, right? I mean, it is sparkling, and it probably cost thousands of dollars, and she's had designers, and she's had, like, stylists, you know, doing her makeup and her hair, and I got to tell you, for most of us, when we roll out of bed, we don't look like that, right? It takes so long to look like that, and they just look like a different kind of human, and it just feels like, you know, if somebody like that were to walk into our midst, and we're just in our jeans, and, you know, we got a ponytail, right, and we, we just got a sweatshirt on and we're like eating ice cream and you know some of the ice cream falls under your sweater and you got a big brown stain here and they walk in in that dress you'd be like we're different humans right we're not the same right friends isn't this the way life is and many of us we think that the point of life is to climb that ladder to become higher and higher and higher and to get better and better and better I'm number one I'm number one number one at what at the end of the day, what did you win? And, and for many people, friends, I mean, you see, like, like, whether it's money or status or whatever, what you see is there's actually a lot of people, when they get to the top, they start becoming extremely generous. You see, like, Bill Gates or some of these people, they make so much money, they just, their whole life, money, 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 money. They get to the top, and they're like, okay, there's nothing else. So what do they start doing? They start giving away all their money. And we look at that and we're like, well, that's a luxury that they have because they have so much money. Or is it this, friends, that they look up at the top, they get to the top, and they realize that being at the top is so lonely. They're the only one up here. And this is the problem. When you start creating tears, you are no longer side by side with people. In many ways, I mean, I, I remember hearing, reading some people who are rich or famous, they're like, this is part of the problem. I've created this disparity, our society has created this disparity, and when I look around me, I'm all alone, because no one else is at my level, right? They're not saying that to be arrogant, but they're just realizing that if that is what we always wanted, 
to be on top, to be above everyone else, then you realize no one else is there with you. Is that what we want? Is that what Jesus wanted? Jesus could have done that. Can you imagine how lonely heaven would be if only the godly, the holy, the sacred could be there? That's not the heart of Jesus. He wanted friends. And so he came down here. He came to our level and said, let's get on this level together. Friends, do you feel that on like just a cellular level? I, I don't know how else to explain this. When you are living your life and you're screwing up or you're not making it or, or you're just not meeting the standard that, that you're supposed to be at, do you feel like God is way up there and you're down here and you're like, yo, I'm all alone? Or do you know this truth? Jesus is standing side by side with you. He's like, oh, I, I want to show you my love, and I want you to be involved in this love. Friends, when we get super lonely and isolated, really the reason why is because we're only looking at ourselves. And when we only look at ourselves, it's almost like we're the only one in the room. Has that ever happened to you? Right? You have a problem that's so big, and you're just so fixated on it. There's other people there. They're having a good time. They're laughing, whatever. But it's almost like around you is like a little bubble, right? And you're just like in your little bubble of doom and despair, right? And it's just like storm clouds. And this is all you're looking at. And people are like on the outside just like, hey, Steve, you okay in there? And you're like, no, <laughs> you know, you won't understand or I'm fine, get away. And you're just here all alone, right? And that's what our problems tend to do sometimes, right? But what does Jesus want us to do? You will be my friend, right? You are my friend if you do what I command, which is what? Love others as I have loved you. So then, despite yourself, not because you're good, not because you have everything together, but you go out and not thinking about yourself, you start loving other people the way that Jesus loved you. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> How can I pray for you, right? You start listening to them. You don't focus on yourself. And then what happens? All of a sudden, you have gotten out of this weird capsule of despair. And now you're standing on a level with someone else. And now you are not so alone because they're with you. You're not above them. You're not below them. You're side by side with them. That's what we do with God, by the way. But I got to tell you, in some ways, we don't really understand what that means to be able to share everything with Jesus. Of course, that's what he wants. It is one of the great privileges that we have, right? We're going to sing a song, um, the closing song. I think it's, it's what a friend, right? What a friend we have in Jesus. And, and, and basically, the whole punchline to it is like all of our sorrows, all of our things, right? We can take it to the Lord in prayer because he's our friend. He's on our level. Now, he didn't have to be on our level. <laughs> He's God. He's Jesus. He's holy. He came to our level. He came to our level to be with us. So, friends, I got to tell you, there is this weird thing. When you're with a friend and just things are going wrong in your life, it, it, it's, it, it, there's this weird assurance that you have where it's almost like, okay, 
at least I'm not alone. Okay, life, life is kind of hard right now, but I'm not alone. Has that ever happened to you? You were just in your little circle of despair, but you decided to let someone else in. And they start listening. They pray for you. Or they support you. They're there with you. They're not giving you advice like, hey, this is what you need to do, like they're above you, but they're just, they're with you. They're with you in that darkness. And all of a sudden, it's not as dark anymore. Right or wrong? This has ever happened to you, right? This is what Jesus is offering us. For us, with him, but also in our community. Don't keep it to yourself. Go share it with someone else. Pull someone else into this community. Isn't that what church is supposed to be? But this is what church has become. I'm so holy. I'm a good Christian. Look at me raise my hands. I'm going to sing. And no one's going to know that I'm falling apart inside. That's so often what church has become today. Instead of a place where we can just share and be on the same level with one another. Right? Where we can just be like, yo, I am bleeding. I'm not good. I'm not at my best. I, I just feel like giving up. And other people can just, they're just with you. I'm not better than you. Right? We're, we're just on the same level. We can love one another. And can you imagine? Can you imagine in that moment? Maybe it's so hard, so inconceivable, but Jesus is there right with you as you're like, dude, I don't know what to do. My life sucks. I, I, I just, I've lost all hope. And Jesus is side by side with you. That's Christianity. That's the gospel. That's the good news. You are cosmically not alone because you have a friend who has left the heavens, left all of those trappings, left the crystal palace, and he's come to be here with you in your darkness, in the pit, side by side. And you don't need to walk around with the shame. Jesus pierces through all of that. Do you know who Jesus hung out with? He hung out with everyone. You see that. Tax collectors, prostitutes, people who were diseased, right? They had pus and stuff oozing out of their skin. And Jesus would come and touch them. And people were like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? What kind of holy person would do that? But that's what Jesus would do. And also, even the Pharisees, maybe some of the people on the bottom, they're like, yeah, you know what? Those people on the top, they're the problem. And Jesus would hang out with them too. He would go to the, the houses of Pharisees and people. And sometimes like he would help them. You know, like, like when they were like being all judgy, it's like, hey, you know, Simon, can I share with you just a story? He wouldn't rebuke them. He wouldn't be like, stop judging them. He's like, let me, let me just share a story with you and see if you can put yourself in their shoes, right? Simon, can you come down to our level? Can you come down to the level with these other people who are hurting, right? And can we just do this life together? That's what we want, right? And so, friends, um, it's something where it is not a competition anymore. It is not meant to be, right? And so we're told, um, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. One of the things that we find is that as we learn to let God in, and as we learn to let him be our friend, 
and to start to learn how to be friends, how to be on the same level with other people, how to love, right? The goal is that that love stays with you. How many of you have ever felt the love of God before? And it's just felt awesome. And it's like the best thing in the world. And how many of you feel like that has left you at some point? I, I think all of us have had that experience. But this is Jesus' desire for you, that that love abides, that it stays, right? And one of the ways this does this, as we learn to love more and more people the way that Jesus has loved us. I just want to end with this kind of uh, picture. It's, it's, it, it's, it's a story from the Bible. Do you guys remember um, towards the end, the disciples, they probably you know, started to think they were, they were kind of important, you know, because Jesus was attracting crowds, and he was doing awesome things, and people were whispering, Messiah, he's going to be the king, he's going to be the king. They're like, oh, shoot. If Jesus is going to be the king, then who are we going to be? Are we going to be like dukes? You know, are we going to be on his right hand? Am I his right-hand man, or is he his right-hand man? You know, am I second in command, or is, am I third in command? And they started talking about these kinds of things, right? And so this is what Jesus did. Jesus stripped himself and he got down on his knees and he washed the feet of these disciples who thought they were better than everyone else. We, we've seen this passage before that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be exploited, but he emptied himself. This is our Jesus. This is the friend who invites us into communion, into fellowship. And I can think of no better transition but to go straight into communion. Because if you guys remember, towards the end, again, another thing that Jesus does. Jesus knows exactly what the disciples are going to do. He knows that they are going to betray him. I mean, he, he gives you know, Peter kind of a heads up. But he doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't stop him from betraying him. He's like, hey, you know, I already know what's going to happen. And yet, this is what Jesus does. He shares a meal with them. Who does that? He's like, come and eat with me. You guys remember when Jesus would go and eat with sinful people? You know what the religious people did? They were like, oh, okay, cool. He's just having a meal with them. They'd be like, what are you doing? Because in that society, to share a meal with someone, and it's still true today, it's a sign of friendship. He was extending friendship to these sinful people. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they had like a conniption fit. They're like, no, what are you doing? You can't share fellowship. You can't be friends with these sinners. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus did that with his disciples, with the people who would betray him. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. I mean, I'm the only one who can be intact. I'm the only one who doesn't have to be broken by life or sin or death. And yet Jesus comes to be broken for us. And then similarly, during that meal, he takes a cup. He's like, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is a new way of doing things. This is my blood which is poured out for you, and it's going to cover a multitude of sins. That you can be forgiven, and you can now be a part of this family. You can now be a part of this friendship. 
And that's what communion is about. We come to be united with Christ. And we come to be united with one another. And so, friends, if you could just pray with me, um, just, just over these elements. God, we thank you that you have come to share this meal with us. You have come to share friendship with us. God, that we can accept that, Lord, that maybe, you know, sometimes we, we just get so in our heads, we're like, ah, th does this make sense or not? But can we just take that invitation? Can we just take your hand? Can we just take the bread and taste its sweetness? Can we just drink that cup and taste the sweetness of the, of the juice and to know that you are giving us something good? You're giving us something freely. And God, that all we have to do is accept it. All we have to do is take your hand. God, that you have loved us, that is of your prerogative, God, that you would forgive us, God. You're the only one who could do it. And so, God, all we can do is say thank you. All we can do is receive that. All we can do is say, yes, Lord, I want to be a part of that fellowship. I want to learn to love like that. I want to learn to be in that circle of love. God, thank you. May this bread and this cup become to us the very body and blood of Jesus as we become united with you and with all the people you have died for. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.